This podcast is brought to you by People Dancing and was recorded in front of a live audience at the People Dancing International Conference, Glasgow 2017. Episode 3, in conversation with Melanie Briley and Robert Hay, Perspectives on Dance for People Living with Parkinson's. Okay, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming to to listen to... um, Bob and myself, so we'll just introduce ourselves and then uh, tell you what we're doing. But this is sort of like an open session in the sense that uh, if you want to ask any questions uh, to us, then uh, we'd be really happy to answer as much as we can. Um, So it's sort of up to you what we talk about in a way with the questions that you ask us. Okay, so I'm Melanie Briley. Um, And I've been teaching dance and Parkinson's classes for about 10 years now in the northwest of England. Um, And I've taught dance for many years, well, since I was about 20, in different places like schools and um, colleges and universities. Um, So, and I've been doing um, sort of working in the field of dance and health for this last sort of period of my life. Uh, I'm also a PhD researcher in dance and Parkinson's at the University of Roehampton. Uh, so I'm currently writing up my um, PhD thesis, which is about uh, one-to-one dance and Parkinson's work in people's houses as home performance. So that's what we're talking about today. And this is... I'm Robert Hay, and I'm one of... Melanie's guinea pigs. <laughs> yes. Which I find very interesting. Not the furry coat, but... <laughs> Not the furry coat I make you wear. No. <laughs> yeah, so Bob and I work together um, in Lancaster. Bob comes to groups. So we do the Dance and Parkinson's UK group at St John's Hospice. Um, and then Bob also comes to my class at the Neuro Drop-In Centre in Lancaster, which is a class for people who are living with mixed neurological conditions such as Parkinson's, MS, muscular dystrophy and stroke, to name but a few. We've got quite a big group now, haven't we? And then you also go to classes at the Neuro Drop-In Centre? I go to physio classes, I go to Tai Chi, yeah, and you do creative writing as well, don't you? Try. So, Try. so, yeah. So, okay. Um, so, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about uh, how I got to do the projects and how I got to do the research, um, and then we can watch the film that Jess here has made, Jess Turton, who's um, just graduated from university, haven't you? Um, and uh, Jess has been sort of joining us with practice. I mean, you, you can say, Jess, if you yeah. want. Come sit yeah. here if you want. It's easier. <laughs> Might as well have the whole team. Might as well. Yeah. 
Hello everyone, I'm Jess and I've just graduated from Lancaster University. Um, I studied fine art and theatre and I looked into Mel's work for my dissertation and just been following her work really. So after I've graduated I stuck by uh, these two and just looked into her home performance and made this film that you're going yeah. to see. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, um, it's a, I don't know how many minutes the film is, about it's about seven minutes. Yeah, it's, it's not, not that a very long, long film. A short one. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the background of the research, if that would help. Um, so I, I obviously am interested in dance and Parkinson's, and I've been teaching in groups for quite a long time. Um, and so initially my research was going to be about working with people in groups and working one-to-one -one with people. And I started doing one-to-one -one practice because I'm a registered somatic movement educator um, and lecturer in somatics. And so I work in a practice, what we call co-creative practice, which is creating dance together in a supportive uh, environment as companions. Um, so that's where the idea for the work started through my training and my own teaching. But also I live in a small village in the lakes and people know what I do because they often see me dancing around. Um, and uh, so that people asked me, um, people started asking me whether I could work with their parents, for example, and help them to move a little bit more easily um, so that's how I started to work in my own village, just going to people's houses and working one-to-one -one with them to see what we could do. Okay, so then I started doing my research and my interest, I started doing one-to-one -one work, not initially with Bob, Bob was sort of in my second round. Um, I started working with a lady who was coming to some of my other classes. Uh, one of them was a women's class called Moving, Dancing and Relaxing, which was a somatic-based class. And this lady had, was living with Parkinson's and she was interested in trying to... She wanted to dance, she loved dancing, and she hadn't had the opportunity when she was young. She was from the States, she was from New York, and uh, really couldn't afford to go to dance classes when she was a young girl. Anyway, so she, she, we became friends and she started to come to these uh, moving, dancing and relaxing classes. And then we discovered in, in those classes the sorts of movement that would help um, support her, her to move better and to be able to express herself. So um, from there, we, I, I sort of got interested in, in aspects of flow. How do we promote flow in dance and Parkinson's, which is part of what I'm writing about in my PhD. So, is this all okay? Yeah. Um, so then I, I set off just going to people's houses. Um, the people that are in my research are, are all from the Lancaster Dance and Parkinson's group, um, and they self-selected from the research to be a participant in the study. Um, so I have, I have actually worked with 13 people um, and 10 of those people probably will feature in, in the research. So it's, um, it's a PhD research all about people's experiences of dancing with Parkinson's as a way of um, supporting praxis or practice in this developing field. And the experiences, the experience of the people like Bob and my own experience as a practitioner 
um, supported by the experiences of two other people that have done some one-to-one -one work. One of them is David Leventhal from Dance for PD in America, and the other one is Pamela Quinn, who also teaches uh, dance to people with Parkinson's, and she lives in New York. Um, she works at Dance for PD and all over the bits of New York, and Pamela is a professional dancer, and at and about 22 years ago she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So she's a person who's living with Parkinson's who teaches dance to other people with Parkinson's. And she does lots of one-to-one -one work. Okay. Um, so, um, it was, to begin with, it was a bit like, almost like trial and error in the sense that um, each person that I work with is different because we're all different um, and each person that I worked with in their home was interested in exploring different aspects of movement. So do you want to say a little bit about what you were interested in, Bob, if you can remember well, when I started? I've got an example of how Melanie thinks and works. My father was an Irish in the British Army and he'd never been able to teach me to march just could not do it. This lady taught me to march by crawling around on the floor like a baby. Mm. Because the baby naturally, the movements follow. And then she got me to stand up and the movements follow. So now I can march. Mm. So. And I used, I used to be able to be, to be quite a good dancer. But I've never danced for 10 years. And then I started again, slowly. Mm. Fantastic. You say inventing steps. Some come naturally. Mm. Some come naturally. The, mu mm. the music tells you how to move, or how it tells me how to move. Mm. So some of the, the work that we do uh, together is, is led by myself as a practitioner. And that's because really you need somewhere to start start the session with. So we, we tend to start a session in the same way, don't we? Um, with our hands, yeah, <laughs> with our hands. And we often, um, you know, we do a lot of mirroring, which we do in, in the group classes. And we also use a lot of um, matching, where I, I move alongside Bob or round Bob as well. So it's not all completely standing opposite each other. Um, so we've, we have a starting point and an end point, and then um, we tend to structure the class um, in different sections, I think. Uh, we normally start standing opposite each other and moving laterally and then expanding movement out into space in different directions, for example. Um, then we often do maybe a creative uh, piece, maybe with some objects like fans or balls, which is one of our favourite things. We also use objects in the room or the room itself to move. So there's a piece on the film which shows us moving with the impetus of the wall. So trying to create a sense of momentum and balance. Uh, and you'll see how that goes. We also work on the floor um, so Bob was talking about how we use developmental movement patterns to, um, to find the cross-lateral positions in the body. Um, so, and that has helped Bob to walk when we're standing up. 
Um, so we go back to different developmental movement patterns. We also, um, I also use a, a sort of experiential version of the fluid systems in the body, so connecting to the synovial fluid, the blood flow of the body and the lymph, the cerebral spinal fluid, which are all part of a practice in somatics called continuum. Um, I can talk to you about that later. So we, I use all different things as well as many aspects of um, contemporary dance practice. So sometimes we do floor work as you would do in a, in a, a sort of a, a dance class that's doing contemporary dance. We might also use the odd bit of Indian dance, Spanish or whatever comes to mind <laughs> uh, in all ballet or whatever, don't we? We do. Yeah, we, we sort of make it up as it goes along. <coughs> so it's very organic um, in, in its structure. So, uh, yeah. There's no hard and fast rules. There's no hard and fast rules. So it's very creative, like obviously dance is a creative process. And so that's what we're tapping into. We're, we're tapping into creative potential to enable people to move better, to feel better, and to be able to express themselves, I guess. What would you like to say about that? Well, as to express myself, I can't do that very well. Mm. But music tells me sometimes how to, to dance. Mm. and how to move. Yeah. And if she wants me to move, she puts certain pieces of music on. Mm. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. selecting particular tracks of music, because you've been yeah. there when we did it, haven't you? So you're a big fan of like the African drums, don't you? Yeah. Mm. You know, things with a good beat gets him moving, and you I do your... Yeah. And I can feel... You can nearly feel the floor moving from mm. these drums. Mm. That's a lovely thing Sense to say. Feeling the flow moving from the drums. So that's so you know this is why music is obviously very important. There's lots of studies that show that music is um, you know key to a good dance in Parkinson's class or dance in Parkinson's work. So there's lots of literature around on that. You know dancing to rhythm, improving gait and pattern of movement. Um, also uh, the idea of getting into a groove or flow in that sense of the word. Um, so that there is lots of literature around there now, um, especially people at the Sydney Dehan Research Centre, if you're interested in that. Anyway, um, I also now use as well, because I'm looking at my green apples over there, I also use the work of a man called John Argue. I don't know if anybody's heard of him in relation to dance and movement with Parkinson's. Um, John worked, is from California, um, Oakland, California, and he worked with people with Parkinson's for over 30 years. He originally was a, a theatre director and theatre practitioner actor himself apart from many other things in the 1960s in California. Um, a very amazing man um, in terms of delivery and um, projection and presence. And I was very lucky to go and work with John. I won a, a Churchill travelling fellowship, a Churchill fellowship to go and study dance and Parkinson's. So I did some work in New York and then I did my second year in um, California 
So I work with John, with John for three and a half weeks, so I'm allowed to teach his practice, which is called The Art of Moving for People Living with Parkinson's. Uh, so you can Google John's work, John Argue, A-R-G-U-E. Um, and so we might show you a bit of John's work afterwards, if you'd like. We might do a bit of moving in real time. Won't we? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that would be lovely. Uh, so shall we, shall we show you the film? Would that be good? So um, it, it was difficult to film, wasn't it? In the sense that we were in, Bob very kindly before I come, always hoovers his, his room, his dining room, don't you? Move all the furniture to one corner. Yeah. He moves all the furniture and hoovers before I come. And he always gives me a bunch of bananas, well, often, don't you? Because I like bananas. But it was difficult for, for Jess to film because it's quite, you know, it's not a massive room. So you have to stand in the corridor for some of it to film. So, you know, I don't know, what were the other challenges of filming? Um, I guess because it's a very confined space and also what's going on in the room as well. I don't really want to interrupt what's, you know... You, it's that of concentration, so I don't really, I didn't really get too close because mm. you were using the entirety of the of the room and all the space, and that's kind of the benefits as well of um, home performance: the fact that you can use the space in order to create the movement and in, interpret it in a way, like mm. integrate it into the yes. work that you do. That's so, a good point. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, so, um, yeah, so let's put the film on. Do you know how to work this, Jess? Oh, great, I'm glad you do. Um, can you see? Can everybody can see it? See? Yeah. Do you want to turn, turn round? And then you can watch it. Can you let go of the chair? Well, I think um, I know other people like Miranda Tiffel, for example, who's done a lot of um, in the past one-to-one work, and I worked with her when I was at university. Um, and also then uh, in my own village, um, people got to know that I did all this dancing thing. That's how I started people in my own village really asking me to do things. And then I, I thought, initially in my PhD study, I thought I'd be just focusing on groups. And then when I started doing the one-to-one work, I found that it was so beneficial for me to learn about what it's like to live with Parkinson's and how to help people. I think that initially when we first started, was quite a bit a two-way stream, wasn't it? Mm. As I learned from you. Yes. And you learned how I, I function. Yes, that's right. I learned um, much more in detail how I can help someone move better, somebody who's living with Parkinson's. Whereas in a group, I try to hold the whole group. And you do, you do notice a lot about people because that's job is to notice and take on board what's going on in the room. Of course when you've just got one person you can notice very tiny things. So if I can see 
sometimes and I need to just change the movement a little bit and I'll start to do move in a slightly different way because I can see that that might help in Yeah. You know, and, and that's 
God's will be done. So thank you. Any questions? We might as well open it up to questions, shall we, for a bit? Any, anybody want to say anything or ask anything? <laughs> yes? Did you paint that beautiful red wall for more of this project? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a gorgeous colour, isn't yeah, it? I, I decided it wanted to be a contrast to the rest of the room uh -huh. because it was very quiet. <laughs> and not, but sometimes I'm quiet, sometimes I'm not. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. Hello, hi. What's it like working with having somebody come into your house? It's a very private space and it's a very large room, actually. It's a very different experience to going out to a group. Well, I started one to one, but I'd only been going to classes for about a year, hadn't I? Mm. So, it was at the beginning of my, shall we say, journey with Parkinson's. So it was easy to allow somebody to come in to teach me how to live better and function better. And it does. Because if you're in a group, there's too many. If there's ten of you, you've not got you've not got the concentration of the teacher on you. She's on the whole, so you don't get the benefit. Not as great a benefit as you do it one to one. But coming into your house, as Melanie said in the film, you become friends, not just teach from pupil. That I really appreciate the friendship. Mm, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something to do with the difference between experiencing being in a group and one-to-one? -one? Is that something to do with timing? Or are you not rushed through something? Some, some, of the, some of the movements are the same. But like when we were mirroring each other, you can't do that in a group. Unless you split the group up and then you, in the, you're all in the same boat trying to do something. You're trying you don't to know how to do. Yeah. It just feels so, so relevant in a sense of what you're saying about teaching you to live better. So to take something like dance and to take it into your own home so that the movements that you do together. Um, it's then something you can continue with. Yes. And it's not like sometimes if you do, you know, we all do things in class, sometimes you forget when you get home that you could still keep doing that. So mm. something yeah. about bypassing that group, I think it just seems to be Well, a slight story to important. that. A slight story to that. My wife came home one day and I got dyed straight some. And then <laughs> I was ironing and dancing at the same time. <laughs> 
Yeah. You, you do tend to do quite a lot of moving at home, don't you, as well? I do. Yeah, you practice, don't you? I do 20 minutes, half an hour every day. Hmm. Because, as I said in a poem I wrote, the fitter you get, the more exercise you can do, the longer you can stay fit. And the longer you can stay fit, the longer you can live. Which I, I prefer to live than exist. Mm. Well, and it's also clear from the film, you know, what we all say about dance, that it isn't just about the physical body. Mm. You know, the, the spirit that's there between you, you know, is, is also adding a quality. Yes. Mm. How long is your session when you work with An hour. An hour, yeah. Thereabouts, isn't it? It's pretty much an hour, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we do have times where we stop and talk as well. Sometimes it depends how it goes. We you fall know. about in hysterics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we fall about in hysterics. We didn't put that bit on, did we? Yes. <laughs> yes. Half into a routine, and I get all the time and then we just press that laughing. <laughs> yes. How would you say that as a teacher, how do you feel, what is the difference between teaching a class or a teacher? Well, I suppose it's that, um, the lady who was talking this morning um, about connection, it's to do with connection and love, isn't it, in that wider sense of the word. You know, it's um, to do with um, companionship, um, being able to be open with another person, to see them as they are and for you to be seen as you are. And I think, uh, so that's, for me, um, the important part of it. Um, I like doing group work as well. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying that you don't get moments of that connection and empathy in, in group work, because you do. Um, but... Um, I'm guessing also as a dance artist it gives you the opportunity to um, to really explore different types of movement that you, you just probably couldn't do in a group situation because you're, you're having to um, look after lots of people, you know, in a dance and Parkinson's class, you know, uh, I sometimes have volunteers to help me but sometimes I've got 20 people in a room by myself, you know, mm. that I'm looking after and I have to make sure that they're okay. Um, so you have to have eyes everywhere and um, uh, senses everywhere, not just the eyes. And uh, you she know, does have eyes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you do it wrong, and she knows. It's true. Yeah. Oh dear, thanks, Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's just the role of a teacher. I think you all learn to do that, don't we? But when you do one to one at home tailor-made to what you are, mm. or how you are, because there's a group of 20 of us on a Friday, and we're all at different stages mm. of Parkinson's. Mm. So, yeah. And also, similarly, like, as they said before, like, with Mel, Mel has to always kind of pick up on what people are doing in just the regular classes, but with the one-to-one, -one, she can focus on you know, she might notice things that she may not necessarily notice in group 
and things that's what you said before like yeah yeah and that way you can cater it a lot you know to something that's that's right it's like the idea of using you know you're sensing into yourself as a dancer Mm. and as a person how that movement feels how you connect to the movement and also you know how the other person responds and so that's when it becomes a, a sort of a moving relationship, if that makes sense. That's how I describe it. Um, yeah. Hello. Hi, I'm Bob. It's more of a practical question. I was just wondering how, because um, it's really moving to see this one-on-one practice, how that might be sustained. I'm guessing that's because you've been doing academic research, but mm. if it was other people to take that on the idea of going yeah. to the home, so just, you know, really was thinking about my nan, how much yes. she would have her, yes. How, how it might be sustained by other people. Yeah. Well, I think that's possible. I'm trying to work on getting funding now for my one-to-one service. I'm calling it home performance in the sense that we're performing for each other and we're performing for ourselves in that open way of looking at performance. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's what I'm, I'm up to. Some people do, do pay me... Um, privately um, but a lot of the people that I'm working with um, you know might not be able to afford to pay um, for that sort of service so that's why it would need supporting you know outside support of some sort so that's what I'm on to next you know um, is is getting that and then working with other people who would like to also do one-to-one you know other dance artists or practitioners who would like to work in a one-to-one context and finding the right people to do that, so um, you know who have who have that sort of skill set. Um, you can always pay in bananas. Yeah, you can pay in bananas, <laughs> eggs, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's fine. Obviously, I didn't charge people in my research because it's it's a research project, so it wouldn't be ethical to charge people. Yeah. So these are other people that I work with in in the community. Oh, sorry, I'll do the back and then I'll come to you, Sue, is that all right? Hello. I was just wondering, in terms of your experience of working with people with Parkinson's, um, do you find that there needs to already be a sort of predisposition towards dance in that person, or even if there was no interest in dance, given the somatic principles and principles around movement and, you know, the bilateral movement and that, yeah, yeah. that people can benefit? Well, I, I also work in um, the community. I work in care homes and in community contexts with people living with uh, dementia as well. So I do work in care home settings with the general care home population or in dementia units, if you want to call them that. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that um, you go in, in different ways, don't you? Um, so Bob has self-selected to do this because he comes to a dance and Parkinson's class, but I also go in to the care home that I'm working in or whatever, many care homes. I do group classes, but I also do one-to-one work in people's rooms as well as in the general environment, the care home. 
and I go in with my little box of tools which might be ideas or they might be props like my apples and things which we will show you how we will use them in a minute um, and and so I get people I, I use it as a way of engaging with people in movement I might put my little stereo on and have some music or find something that an object that they're interested in we talk about the object we might find it might be a um, I have a big box of coloured eggs, for example, that have got lots of patterns on them. And I might talk to people about the eggs in the basket and which one they like. And then from there, we might pick the patterns from the egg. And from there, we might move the pattern of the egg, for example. So it's a way in. I use dance as a way into communicating with people as well. I think, I think that's sort of... So yes is the answer. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I would work in that way, so I'm just about to start a project with people who are living with autism as well, so um, and using the same sort of thing. So I think you can use, just adapt it to different groups of people. Sue, your turn, if I was going to ask how you work in a, in a broader context, because I think yeah. you worked in a broader context, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. But then touching on the research that you're doing, that... I mean, you could explain, obviously, this was a new area when you started in it, and I know that you have an array in somatic yeah. and, and, and have somatic dance and health, and then you've gone into this research. What theory, what sort of underpin this for you? Has it purely been through your practice, or is it a definite theory that you feel has underpinned that? Or if you use that, and then yeah. it's catapulted you away from that. Yeah. Because we're saying it's dance, it's movement. Mm. So how would you describe your research? Oh gosh, yeah. In a very brief way. Well, um, I am researching dance and how it supports people's health in the broadest context, so physical, cognitive, emotional, spiritual health. So I'm looking at it as a holistic package. Um, you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I do draw on the field of somatic movement and dance education. So somatics, if you're not sure of what that is, means it comes from a Greek word which means the living body. So it's um, uh, using dance to promote change in the living body. Um, at whatever level you want. So I use anything from, you know, I'm really aware of balancing the internal world of the person moving with the external world. So the idea of using proprioception, which we all talk about in Dance and Parkinson's and how important that is, and the kinesthetic awareness. Um, that idea of the body, I use the idea of the body as a, an ecological system which can respond to change, and the change is the dance. So as we move into space using our sensory bodies, what, what information can somebody get back? Um, how can people learn to uh, notice and have a felt sense of themselves when moving? And how is that possible? How does it help support people's um, lives, basically? Um, so, you know, there's a really serious element to this, um, the dance practice, because what we're saying really is that uh, it, it, is, it is, dance is an art form and it, um, it has its own aesthetic, 
but it also is a meaning-making system and it's also a way of um, supporting, supporting ourselves and supporting each other, yeah, through because it, it's a supportive and connective practice. I don't know if that answers anything. So I do use different things from somatic. So I do use things like the fluid systems from continuum. I use the Larban sort of system, space, weight. Weight is important, space, time, flow. Those are all the things I'm sort of investigating. So it's rooted in dance studies and somatics, which of course there's a big overlap with, um, you know, um, in the world, not just in, uh, you know, different somatic um, practitioners, but also at universities there's been a massive amalgamation of dance studies and somatics, isn't there, over the years. So it's uh, drawing on there. And it also crosses into the realms of dance movement psychotherapy, of course, uh, because all these um, worlds are much more related nowadays because people have bodies. So we're all, we're all going at the same thing. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so um, it's almost 10 to, so I don't know um, if there's any more questions or I don't know whether to, we do any, you want us to do any dancing or I don't know what you feel like doing. <laughs> we can show you this, this is quite fascinating because this is John Arby's work. I mean, Jess and Bob will do it because I've only got three apples today, and I could have all had an apple. What a shame! Uh, you haven't got any balls anywhere, have we? So, um, this is um, one of the things we talk about in dance: is body-mind connection. You know, what does body-mind connection mean? You know, our bodies and our minds are connected. Um, but it's a way of uh, focusing attention on the living body, and so. Um, I use this work particularly with people who are living with Parkinson's because it helps to focus people's attention if it's all over the place and gets people to sense and notice into their bodies. So we'll use John's work. John normally uses tennis balls and I decided to use apples because you can turn them upside down and balance them on your head, which is great for balancing. But should we do a bit of it? Yeah. Do you want to stand up and do it or sit down? No, I'm quite easy to stand up. All right, let's move this thing. Jess is going to join us because she loves doing it, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this off because it's annoying me. Uh, let's have, and I'll sort of speak us through it. Let's have a bit of music in the background. I haven't got a very loud music system, I'm afraid. Let's go from here. So it doesn't sound very great. Okay, so we might just start by... Um, Let's move your chair around. So they've already started without me, haven't they? <laughs> so we we just maybe just start by noticing. Uh, you can use a ball or an apple or something like that. Just noticing how the apple lands on your skin, and also how you can feel the apple moving along the bones, so we might think about the hard or the soft parts of our hands. Yeah. So we're just rolling it around and the idea is just to sort of sense into your body a little bit more. So you can then obviously turn the hands in different 
planes. So the horizontal plane or the vertical plane, whichever you want. And Bob's just starting to move. So here we go with a, a figure of eight. And we can move that bigger if we want to. And here, what seems to be important, I found, is um, trying to encourage people to drop their weight and let the knees soften. So maybe we just put our legs a bit further apart or something like that. Okay, and then we've got more chance of moving if our legs are a bit further apart. So, and everybody has their own flow dynamic, and it doesn't really matter if you're moving in a small way or a big way. Okay, so here's uh, one of John's. You make a little basket with your hand and pop the ball or the apple in, and we're just going to give it a bit of a wobble. Yeah, often people with Parkinson's laugh at this one because they have they might have a tremor. So one hand's really good at wobbling and one's not. <laughs> Bob doesn't have that much of a tremor, do you? Oh no, Bob's going you're shooting ahead here. Should we do the one where we pass from one hand to another? So this one is just a simple hand-to-eye coordination. And what John says is uh, don't worry if you don't ever chase the apple if you drop it. Um, so, John Argue talks about moving with gracefulness, mindfulness and completion. So, with any movement, we must make sure we complete it before we start the next. And you can decide how high you want to throw the apple or the ball. Oh. you okay? Yeah. You normally do this bit sitting down, really, don't you? Yeah. Do you want to sit down? No, you want to try it standing. Okay. So this is another bit where we place the hand to make the basket, and then we imagine the apple's on a tree, and we just let the apple drop. So our focus here is on connecting the mind or finding the mind of the hand and just letting the apple drop. do this very we're going through this very quickly with our eyes closed so this enables people to really sense or feel should I say themselves and the connection between the two hands I find I'm very very rarely dropping with my eyes closed mm -hmm. I drop it more often with the wall because you're focusing your attention which is something that people who are living with Parkinson's have to do on a daily basis just to, to move you have to con consciously control movement yeah so so this is like practicing so we're, we're trying to aim for John says um, you know enabling people to become much better at doing things than, than other populations you know other parts of the population Okay, so we can do this. Here's another one where we just turn the hand over and balance the apple on the back of the hand. And then I sort of have taken this more into standing. John would probably just do it sitting down. But then this is, enables us to shift and explore the space around us. So we start to move however we want. 
And of course we're shifting weight here. We're transitioning from one place to another, which is something that's really important when you're working with people with Parkinson's, is transitioning the weight from one place to the next. And how do we do that? So Bob's just doing this backwards and forwards movement here, this rocking movement. Because here we're not having to step so that people can learn that if they're in a tricky situation, they don't actually have to step if they can't, if they're frozen. They can just soften their knees and drop their tailbone and just drift to one side to reach the cup of tea and <laughs> come back again. So they're all like little techniques. So that's one. This is another one that's similar. You place the apple in the hands and then we curl the fingers and the thumb round the top to make a fist. So this is movement dexterity for the hand and then smoothly we can do it the other way around. So whatever movement you do, it's a bit like in Feldenkrais method of damp moving, if you've done that. Whatever you do forwards, you should be able to reverse the action. Yeah. So this is uh, what John Argue calls, it's like um, having a little candle with a flame on the top. You can blow it out and let it come back into your hand. It's a beautiful one, this. And again, you can move with this, you know, you can get people to move or mirror each other. And we're just going to do it like this and moving round. See if we can get a sense of flow together. So I encourage people to sound as well. Maybe we can think of the wind breath that comes from continuum. We move like the wind. Yeah, be careful. Okay. So there's things like that. Um, we can go into a bit more flow. Or you can get people to balance these on their heads, which is quite nice, obviously. And you, you can just walk around the room. I'll do that. Oh, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to end, isn't it? So, yeah. So, Bob's an advanced... Bob's an advanced apple mover. took me three months to learn to balance it. Yeah, so often, obviously, people come into the class, they can't balance the apple on the head, and then eventually people, my class, just move around the room like this now, moving around. A lot of people who are, you know, people who are sitting down, doing sitting down, and they just move their arms and legs at the same time, which is, is a great back way of balancing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you.